Today's episode is brought to you by Tua T Fitness and the Brew Bar. Mike and Tom are washing their mouths out with soap because the Everything Sequel podcast contains explicit language. Hello and welcome to the Everything Sequel podcast. This is the Tremors edition. My name is Michael Schantz. I'm from the How you, How Dare You Awards. With me is the master himself, Tom Stewart, from Lonesome Whistle Productions. Give it to me, Tom. You mean they've been acting so smart because they're so stupid? <laughs> Great. We've talked to, we've t- in this in you know we've talked before about retconning in sequels. I don't think I've ever encountered a retcon. Of a retcon that is in the same movie. Yeah, right. <laughs> this Aftershocks is working on a seriously meta level. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> we are, of course, everyone, talking about the 1996 sequel, Tremors 2 Aftershocks, directed by S.S. Wilson, who will appear again. This movie had a budget of $4 million, but was, of course, released direct to video, Tom. Mm. Can we talk about S.S. Wilson for a second? The ship or the person? The person. Okay. <laughs> the S.S. Wilson is the ship that rescued Tom Hanks in Castaway, I believe. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> little non-sequel humor there for you. That's a, that's a rarity, isn't it? Uh, who can't, oh, ca- who can't uh, appreciate a good castaway joke? <laughs> Cast- <laughs> Although, let, let's face it, we, we could click on castaway now and probably find out there's a video sequel to that. Well, uh, you know, and that's the amazing thing about these sequels. When you look at the directors, uh, not yeah. the director of this movie, but, but down the line, there's a director yeah. who is like a professional sequel director. <laughs> yes, and if you could, you open up his IMDb, and you you will learn that there are movies that have sequels that you did not that know. You had, had sequels. no idea had sequels exactly. <laughs> I was just I was surprised like seven times in a span of thirty seconds. <laughs> in thirty seconds, I said, "Wow, yeah. no, what, really." <laughs> Which kind of, which kind of, uh, it kind of dashes the theory that that you know there are no auteurs in this, in the world of VOD, mm-hmm. because it, you know there are people who express their art solely through video sequels, right? And more power to them. Yeah, go nuts. Can't imagine it's easy. You want to know what this guy's fingerprints are on? SS Wilson. Go for it. I didn't. I didn't check I, into this. I believe excited. as a writer, though. Okay. As a writer, we've got Wild Wild West. Oh. Short Circuit. Short Circuit 2. Not so good. (laughs) Hearts and Soul, or Heart and Soul. I think that was that Robert Downey Jr. movie, wasn't it? I have no idea. Yeah. If it doesn't have a but also, two, if it doesn't have a two in it or a number in the title, I ain't interested. You don't care. <laughs> and finally, Ghost Dad. Oh. Starring everybody's 
least favorite piece of shit dad. <laughs> that movie must... I mean, I don't know what the movie equivalent of pulping a book is. Right. <laughs> a, mo- a movie in which Bill Cosby is able to get into your home and hover over your bed has Not good. got to be con- confined yeah. to the trash bin of movie history. <laughs> Along with that Jerry Lewis Holocaust clown movie. Absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah, S.S. Wilson. Wow, okay. Now, this is... We both rank this towards the bottom. Yeah, I think this Are is... we both second to last? No, this is... I put this above Bloodline, so this is... That's right. Kind of coming out of the bottom of the middle for me. Right. <laughs> it's like a baseball commentary. Coming yeah. out of the middle of the middle. So we have we have six sequels, correct? Yes. So my this is fourth for me, fifth fourth for you, for right? For you, fifth for me, right. Okay. And that may for... be wrong, everyone. We've not written any of this down. <laughs> <laughs> and then, for the sake of argument, for the sake uh, of uh, for the sake of our podcast, we said yeah. that you would declare this movie good, and I would declare yeah. it bad. I've got enough to call it a good movie. Yeah, yeah, I'm right there, but I'm like just under. Yeah, yeah. All right. I certainly like this more than Bloodlines. I love Bloodlines. <laughs> good for you. More power to you. You know, well, okay, I'll save it for let's when talk, we get Let's there. talk about Let's Aftershocks. talk about Trevor's <laughs> 2 Aftershocks. Now, this movie is an outlier from the entire rest of the series because yes. it is the only movie in the entire series that brings back a character other than Bert. <laughs> um, no, back to back to Perfection has some original cast members in. Yeah, that's true. But I I you know, I I guess as I was lead, thinking of our lead, as our lead actors, yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, yeah, and uh, I, I have and to say, I, you, know, you know, I love me some Fred Ward. Don't get me wrong. I did. I did not like me some Fred Ward in this. Really? I I think my problems with this movie. I realize I'm supposed to be arguing for it as a good movie, <laughs> uh, and I'm here telling with, you what I like. <laughs> yeah, but you, you, you. I mean, you brought it up, so I, I got to go there. I, I think. Uh, I, I think this is before the realization that, you know, we should have Burt Gummer carrying these movies. And uh, Fred Ward... Oh, yeah, no, I would completely agree with that. But he looks a little lost, both acting-wise, and they write the character almost the way I imagine Fred Ward feels about doing this role, (laughs) which is ambivalent. (laughs) Well, but that's the other thing about this movie. I don't know that that's necessarily... And completely his fault because of what no. they do with the script. Yeah, I mean, there, there's, there's there a, is not big... as much danger in this movie as there are in all the other movies. Uh, we've talked before about this kind of mode of address that sequels have that's kind of unlike any other kind of filmmaking where you are simultaneously doing something in world but you're also talking to the audience about what's going on behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. So the the first, I don't know, the first 10 or 15 minutes of Fred Ward in this movie is a kind of fictionalized version of what happened when the producers asked him to do the sequel. <laughs> <laughs> with, with what are 
I imagine exactly the same conversations. <laughs> about did you make enough money from did the you first make film? This could money? really ensure your financial you, do security. You need to, do you need to pay for a new roof? Yes. If you if you need a new roof, you could do Tremors two aftershocks for us. You didn't save all your money from Tremors, so <laughs> now you need to do need to do this. And I don't know, think I was... they're gonna actually make the sequel to Remo Williams. So why don't you do well... Tremors two aftershocks? Quite. And I I guess my other big issue is. He his acting is locked in Tremors, the original Tremors, and I this and that was a um, very that's interesting, yeah. That was a very, as I saw it, a very overt B movie style of acting, which ironically is this is more of a B movie than Tremors was. Right, it's yeah. not the case here, and I think he looks a little bit out of sync with everyone else acting wise. I think he's still pushing that that melodrama um, that. That no one else is that interested in anymore. Right. Well, and, but I mean, and it, it's speaking it's to big... the whole series. That's the one thing I love about Michael Gross is Michael Gross is just in the pocket for these movies every single time. Yeah. Oh, completely. Yeah. Yeah. Completely. And uh, he reads. He does a tone read on every movie and he nails it. And right. I suppose. I mean, he he's not the biggest problem in the two with the two leads in this movie, but. <laughs> I still think, you know, he, he has a huge burden to carry because this movie's not making any bones that Kevin Bacon didn't want to come back. Right. This movie is putting it out it's, there. It's announcing Kevin Bacon it loudly. did not want to probably. do this movie. <laughs> it is said so many times, directly and indirectly, Kevin Bacon did nothing want to do with this. <laughs> well, now, but here's the funny thing about that because, I mean, I have notes that... Several times throughout the series, Kevin Bacon did consider coming back, but something would come up, another role, or, you know, there there was always something in the way, or, but you might be right, there, there, I, 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 I'm, there might be a, another note where he just thought, no, not right now, not this time, where he did just decide not to do it, but well, he was get, interested. I mean... Yeah, I mean, we get the thing that we always get, Wes, where the person who's not in the movie, someone looks at a photograph of them. Mm-hmm. It's happened in literally every sequel we've yeah, looked right. at. So there's a photo, there's a newspaper article with a photo of Kevin Bacon, so we looked at that. There's also then that inter- sort of framed People magazine on the wall. <laughs> yes. I, we, it was a lovely we, touch. We introduced Grady, who is, again, is the sequel trying to have it both ways you want an entirely new character but he's a character who knows everything about what happened in the first movie right so he works both ways he can tell he he's he's de facto like having a character from the original movie but he's an entirely new character because he knows everything about what happened in the first movie he studied it obsessively he, right he's yeah exactly so but that's a kind of he is but, part but of he's the constantly reason... referring to the fact that he's not kevin bacon yeah well, and that's the thing. At is one point, he even he said, is a poor man's Kevin Bacon. I mean, he is a yeah. poor substitute, and that's one of the reasons I don't like this. This movie doesn't rise to the level of the other ones for me. Is almost like his performance. I mean, he's bad. It's a really bad performance, and I think I think just I I I'm, it's it's partly because you know I, I I don't think he's a great actor, but. 
again, I think it's about it's about the burden. Of, but along with Fred Ward, it's about the burden of circumstances on them. Fred Ward has to deal with the fact that he's carrying this movie on his own. Kevin Bacon's not there, so you don't mm-hmm. have that chemistry. With Grady, he ha- he's he's trying to justify himself as a new, as an entirely new character when all he does is recap the first movie. Yeah. Um, so that's a really hard position for an actor to be in. Um, and there's lines in there that, like, you know, literally says, I'm not the other guy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He says to people, I'm not Kevin Bacon. Right. I know I'm doing everything that you'd think Kevin Bacon would do. But I'm in not the him. Of this movie, but I'm not him. <laughs> so that's hard. And I think by the end of the movie, just, you know, again, devil's advocate, uh, that I kind of, I sort of like the idea that he was, you know, he feels bad about getting... Earl into all this again. Like, Earl was home and dry, and now he's back fighting tremors and nearly dies. And at one point he says, you know, it's all my fault you're here. And I thought that was a that was a reasonable attempt to try and give him an arc, but it's very thin. Well, that's pretty thin, yeah. That's... It's thin, but it's kind of, you know, it's, it's, a, it's there. But we spoke um, in the rankings, you know, we spoke in the ranking episode about our affinity for the writing and the and the attempt to give genuine arcs throughout the movie but in this movie is i think the weakest in that attempt um it is i i i kind of i like first of all i like how much romance there is in all these movies mm-hmm. i think that really i don't know why it struck me this time watching it i was like huh there's a romantic thread through all these movies which is really nice yeah and it puts a it puts there's a, really a nice moment in this on one every movie there's a moment in this one that i really like where fred ward as earl what's her name uh kate kate riley played yeah. by helen shaver mm-hmm. he... who again seems like she might have been in tremors but she won't in tremors right exactly <laughs> but he walks by her and you have this moment where he checks out her ass and you yes. think, come on, get your act together, Tremors. Like, you know, yeah. <laughs> but then the great part is that then there's a moment he walks by her and she yeah. checks out his ass. Yeah. And I yeah. loved that. That moment where. They were giving equal consideration to both men and women just being able to check out each other's asses. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know? it's not just the woman being objectified, and that's really nice. Right, exactly. Um, I, it, it's also, I mean, you know, we, we've talked to, on this podcast about carbon dating as well, like, you know. Sure. And I just, I feel like this is the, and and they, they um, June Diane Rafe, uh, Rayfield's always talking about this on how did this get made, not to plug one of our rivals, but, um, <laughs> uh, you know, the, the era of, of buns, like, bun love yeah <laughs> like movies where where you you know you the money shot was you know a, a guy's butt in jeans checking out that ass you know and now women now now are like why like what's sexy about this so it's it's i love that it's in that moment but i also love that it you know it reverses uh the gaze and you know there it also provides us with, with one of the first uh irreconcilable coincidence of this series which mm-hmm. is that kate turns out to be the playmate who is on that's on his wall or yeah <laughs> back in nevada uh, which again you know you this is the only stuff that happens in sequels these people meet under the strangest circumstances right um 
But the way that their romance uh, winds up is lovely. I I thought that was a great. It, I mean, in retrospect, it looks like a great great way to move Earl out of the series. Right. At the time, I didn't. I you know I I. I didn't look up anything about these movies as I was watching them because I wanted to be surprised and going fresh every time. So I didn't know whether Earl was going to make it into Back to Perfection. So I thought, well, but either way, it works. I'm like, either this is setting us up for the next movie, great, or mm-hmm. um, or it's a good way to send him off into the sunset with his uh, with his new with his lady interest. friend, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So they do a good job of of working Earl out of the movie, but they don't do a good job of putting him into the movie. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, and that's that's one of my first notes was, I mean, for, so first of all, this movie. One, my very first note is I thought it was hysterical that this movie in- included credits, and then told you where they were, the location in Mexico. Yeah. But then had more credits after that. <laughs> <laughs> a strange choice it, and then of course it, you have the requisite death you know mm-hmm. uh you know a worker at uh what where whatever what i can't even remember what scientific field what are they doing there is it an oil well, isn't it oil oil, it an oil? right yeah that, i think it's oil so it's um, oil and then this guy that owns the oil field goes to find Fred Ward, he goes to find Earl. He doesn't yeah. contact military or ex-military. He finds this guy. <laughs> That's explained within the movie. These guys are celeb. These guys are like you know celebrities now, right? For the, these are the guys you know. We 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 balked at at you know another stakeout, and how that was like you know. There's no such thing as a stakeout specialist, <laughs> but in the world of Tremors, there's definitely Tremors specialists, and there's these two guys, and and now Grady. If you look at if, but if at you look at that first things. movie, if you look at that first movie, I don't think by the end of it you'd call them experts. <laughs> yeah, and and it's 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 not. It's not great. I also I also was a little bit conflicted about seeing the tremor so quickly into the movie. Mm-hmm. I'm already I'm already calling it a tremor, which is something that this mo- that this series makes fun of constantly. We're getting the name wrong. Graboid. Graboid. Yeah. Uh, we see a graboid very early on in the movie, and initially I was like, mm, okay, I'd rather you know I'd like a little bit of a tease, a little bit of uh, foreplay mm. before we actually see it. But then I was like, but fuck, it looks good. <laughs> <laughs> the prosthetics are on point. Yeah, it's totally. Like, so I guess I guess if you're like <laughs> you're like a video director, it's like it's like look at how good this looks. I want it in the first minute of the movie. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I understand that choice, although it is not the choice I would have made. Well, and here's the thing, you know, you it's it's kind of like the Jaws Jaws 2. It's exactly the same. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we made the point that that shark's fucking everywhere in Jaws 2, and the Graboids, they're fucking everywhere in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, I'm, let's take no. a break. Let's okay. get in. We're, we're just getting into it, ladies and gentlemen. We're talking about Tremors 2, the 1996 film. We're going to take a break, and when we get back, we'll discuss how easy these things are to kill suddenly. But difficult to capture. Heard. That's the trade-off. <laughs> All right, we'll be back right after this.
Does the coronavirus have you feeling oogie? Have you been sitting on your couch for weeks? Nay, have you been sitting on there for months? Well, it's time for you to get back in shape. Check out To A T Fitness. You can find them on Instagram. You can find them on Facebook. To A T Fitness was started by Tina Bernard. She is ready and raring to go to help you get back into the shape you want to get into. They've got all kinds of classes. They've got outdoor in-person classes. They've got online classes if that's what you prefer. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get back in shape. You're going to find a variety of exercises. You're going to have strength training, cardio, weightlifting, even fun five-minute burnouts that will push you to your limits. So get off the couch, get into shape. Go ahead and check out Tua T Fitness. Tina Bernard has got you for all your needs. I know her personally. She's fantastic. You're not going to meet a better person to help you become the new you. Check it out. And we're back. Tom and I are here discussing Tremors 2 Aftershocks, directed by S.S. Wilson. So let me ask you this. Do you... Did it surprise you, and did you like that they go to Mexico, and all of a sudden it's very easy to kill graboids? You just need Tonka trucks? <laughs> it certainly surprised me. <laughs> and bombs? <laughs> um, yeah, I thought it was... It was it it did sort of somewhat diminish the threat of the graboid. Yeah, I thought so too. But it, it, it's I, kind you of, know, but it was it's a prelude. They were also to, going for more comedy in this movie than they were in the first movie, I think. And they had sort of even though this movie is nineteen ninety six, they had a full on nineteen eighties music montage. Yes. Of blowing up graboids for, I mean, like, you know, it went on for a while. It was like more than five full minutes of just blowing up graboids. For some of us, the, the 80s never died when it comes to montage. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, I I guess I guess in retrospect, I, I mean, at the time I thought exactly the same thing. I was like, it's it looks, it's relatively easy to, to kill these monsters who were, were seemingly so difficult to kill at one point. But then I thought, well, that's, you know, that's an overture to, um, you know, to to basically retconning the Graboid as the cocoon stage of the monster. <laughs> so and that's the next big thing yeah. about this movie is we are not done learning about these creatures. They will evolve. Yeah. And that I love. I love that they take three full movies to explain to you the evolution of these creatures. I think that's brilliant. Yeah, they, they they there's a lot of discuss. You know, this is this is a movie that's very much finding out. Uh, and you know, this is a very this is a sequel trope of like we're digging. This is what they do in the Candyman sequels. It's sort of like, well, you know, Candyman mm-hmm. scared the fuck out of us, but who is he? And this is what we're yeah. kind of doing on a on a, a biological level with the Tremors here. At one point, I, I was very interested at how much time they spent in the movie. Uh, debunking the idea that they might be aliens and my mm-hmm. first thought was someone's seen Highlander 2 The Quickening and said <laughs> we are not making that mistake we're not doing that shit at one point someone I don't know I think it's Grady says they're from Earth right 
<laughs> it's like looking out into the audience going, we're not yeah, going to throw right. that they're aliens shit. We're not going to do that alien shit, correct? Uh, and it's it's kind of, it's great. You know, we have a lot of discussion about how they're changing, how they're evolving. We also get the 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 um, the notion, which sets us up beautifully for later movies, that the whole time these creatures are going to be changing. Mm-hmm. And but this is where Bert Gummer becomes very important. He's just like he's just like, you know, it's always different. Every time you encounter them, they're different. Right. And this is the that's basically well, his whole has... job in this movie is to say that to to us. Yeah. Because and he says it through maybe my favorite line in the entire movie when he says, I have been denied critical need to know information. Yes. yes. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> And it's very, it's very, I was surprised about how self-conscious and meta it, it, it all was. Um, you know, at one point, I think, Grady, who is, who becomes the mythology monitor of the movie. Yeah, uh, You know, if, if, if he says it, if he asks the question and gets the answer, then it's canon, basically. He says, this right. is important, isn't it? Science has never determined their origin. Um... <laughs> So uh, it's very, but when you get to a point where even the screenwriters get sick of having to answer questions about the backstory of the tremors, and it just it just ends up with Grady asks a question, and Earl says, "Shut up, we're not talking about that now." Yeah, right. <laughs> just refuses to answer fundamental questions that that the screenwriters are not don't have an answer for, are pre- are not prepared to to discuss exactly. Yeah. And we also speaking, you know, of like uh, other sequels that are woven into here. You, we we also get the sense that you know the tremors are targeting people, which gave me that sort of Jaws four mm-hmm. flavor. Um, well, and not only that, but you have that moment where, what is it? The radio on the truck is attached to something. It, basically, they have the the barrel scene mm-hmm. except it's tremors and they're they're latched onto a radio yes. that is hooked up to the truck and it starts dragging the truck around the entire you know mesa yeah and it, it's interesting as well like the i in the back of my mind and again i'm thinking about the historical period in which this movie is made uh i i think one of the things behind this desire to change the graboid from one thing into something else, which ends up being called a shrieker, mm-hmm. is um, to kind of go from practical to CGI. In effect, right. because yeah. as soon as you know the shriekers are very, very uh, overtly CGI, whereas everything to do with the graboid is puppetry. Correct. So, uh, and that's, you know, there's, as, as you know, as I said in the previous episode, uh, the CGI is, it's very early on. In yes, right. The development of CGI. So it doesn't look, it doesn't look the good. The effects but, have not, but comparatively, caught up with what they want to do. Yeah. And also, and also thematically, you know, I can't, I can't get Jurassic Park out of my mind in this movie. Like, they're reimagined as essentially dinosaurs, it seems to me. Yes. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> so there's there's, obvious, there's a very, you know, they're, they're, they're trading off 
what is the hot cinematic thing of the moment, which is CGI and things looking like dinosaurs. And it's interesting in later movies, they'll make the, the I'm going to call it the tremor. That's going to be my umbrella term. I'm not getting it wrong. That's my umbrella term because I'm not saying graboid, treaker, and ass blaster every single time. You're saying all of them. Yeah. So, so, but making a tremor look like the move, the monster movie, the the movie monster of the moment, and it keeps okay. doing this again and again and again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and in this one, it's dinosaurs, and uh, I have no problem with that. Um, but that's keeps definitely reinventing itself. That's definitely what's going on. Oh, absolutely. And, but it's funny because, you know, like we said in the ranking episode, the CGI doesn't look great for the Shriekers. And yet somehow it works for the movie. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, yeah, as I said, I don't think it, I don't think it's any better or worse than it, than, you know, Jar Jar Binks looks in Phantom Menace. But that's supposed sure. to be like the, I mean, that's a couple of years later, but that's supposed to be like the pinnacle of CGI and the, like, you know, the most, the, the most resources and expense we've spent on it. And the differences between that and this is negligible. Agreed. Completely. <laughs> so and, so and uh, the, what's the big, you know, what's the big deal? I think it just, the fall off, because the practical is so good, the prosthetics are so yeah. amazing. The, that's the fall off. And that's where it becomes disappointing. But well, and I was I was just gonna say the same thing that because the practical effects in the first movie, and I and and, and in extent this movie as well yeah, the because first we half see of the graboids. Movie, yeah. yeah, it's great. And because it's so good, it's you know, I kind of it's it's just it's disappointing. Yeah, but not on a grand scale. I equate it to sort of like the waves in a perfect storm. <laughs> You're talking about the movie thought... here, not just this is not some grand metaphor. This is the <laughs> no, yes, exactly. I'm, I'm talking about the actual movie, where at the time people are like, "That's gonna look so amazing," but it doesn't really. Like you said, we were at the beginning of this technology, mm-hmm. and you know. They wanted to do things that the technology was it was just out of reach of the technology. Absolutely. At the time. Um, So there are important steps like Jar Jar Binks is an important step in the sense of he looks terrible, but he gave way to the things that Cameron did in Avatar. Or, you know, or uh, everything Andy Serkis does every time he acts. Right. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, I, I totally agree. I don't think I think we should be generous. Uh, and also, you know, this, the, the, what this movie, you know, like you said, you know, it it runs with practical effects for a good chunk of this movie. It's mm-hmm. also got the filmmaking sense to sometimes verbally describe what happened rather than showing it, you know. And one of my favorite scenes in this is Burt Gummer recounting what happened to him. Yeah. Without right, the yeah. use of special effects. Just right. And, and you get it, you know, that. Uh, they they do the same thing in in uh, Back to Perfection when the doctor tells you like this awful thing that's happened, the awful thing, and you just happened. get yeah, to right. imagine it. And I'm like, well, you know that they're they're not, and that that to me is more, you know, when when George Lucas makes the Phantom Menace, he's you know he's putting his entire pot into digital effects. These directors right. have the sense to say 
if this bit doesn't work, it doesn't matter because look, we've got practical effects for another this. twenty minutes. Yeah. We've got Bert Gummer <laughs> yeah. telling the story of what happened, um, which is exciting in and of itself. It's not gonna kill this movie if some of the graboids look like you know outtakes from the from the raptor scene in Jurassic Park. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's not gonna kill us um, because. And that's the thing. It's like this, this, the the ability to. This is what I mean about filmmaking aptitude. That's throughout all of these movies. Like they, they, they can put things in perspective. Um, you know, they they whether it's writing or visual or character, they can, um, they can control those those different factors, those different genres and tones really fucking well. <laughs> Really well. And that's the thing to me about these movies is, I mean, there you, you can't think of a movie that that had a blank check more than the Star Wars prequels. Right. Right. And this is a B movie mm-hmm. made by what people might con- consider to be, you know, a B movie director, maybe even B movie actors. Mm-hmm. But working within those confines, they create something that works. Yeah. And with a blank check, those prequels, the Star Wars prequels, for me, created something that didn't work. Yeah. There's very little I like in the prequels. Or definitely something much less satisfying. Yeah, exactly. And And that's the thing. Much more overambitious and a risk that didn't pay off. Yeah, exactly. I suppose here the risks are minimal, but that just that just makes it even more remarkable that they're such high quality so much of the time. Right. Yeah. Um, that said, <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't really, I don't really have it. I don't really have anything that. Uh, I mean. Are we at the point where we can talk about the longest detonation fuse in cinema history, or do we, do we have we still got stuff to talk about? Probably still got stuff to talk about, right? Yeah, I mean that's a little preview, I, you know, everyone. I don't, yeah, I don't care when and where we talk about it, but you're right about that. <laughs> um, I, I, you know, this movie is an outlier to me in in the sense of. Because we're kind of alluding to things on the whole for the series. Mm-hmm. And in this particular movie, you know, if, you, if you've if you got the scales of good, bad justice out, yes. you know, there's just a there's a pebble or two more on the bad for me. And, and a lot of that weight I, I give to the character of Grady. I really don't like yeah. that actor. Yeah, he's definitely and... the weakest element of this movie. Yeah. Um, but again, you know, he has to wear so many hats, both literally and figuratively, in, the, yeah. <laughs> in this movie. In this movie that, you know, he could ne- he can never become a, not even a fully realized character, a realized character. So he's got too much of the, of the weight of exposition and backstory mm-hmm. on him. Um, and then, you know, halfway through the movie, they dump, you know, monitoring the mythology on him. Um, but, but he's, he's kind of, he, he is the most, uh, 
anonymous of the well, I mean, it didn't start off as a sidekick, but I mean, every every co-lead ends up being Burt Gummer's sidekick, um, right? And that's another because that's that's a that's a sort of structural change they don't acknowledge. They kind of want to just they want to you know put the put the peg in the Kevin Bacon peg in the hole with this movie right. with Grady, but the problem is Earl is was in that hole. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't Kevin Bacon's right. hole, it was Earl's yeah, hole. Exactly. Now Earl's right. off to the side and they're putting they're putting a grady shaped peg in the Kevin Bacon hole. And no, in Earl's hole. In Earl's hole. This metaphor's getting and out of control. It does not fit. Right. Basically what I'm saying is there's 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 pegs in holes where there shouldn't be pegs in holes. <laughs> <laughs> so here, there, and everywhere, there's round pegs, there's square holes, there's square holes, there's round pegs. And narratively, that compromises what what Fred Ward can achieve as an actor, because then he's got to be he's got to be Kevin Bacon, he and Fred Ward, while also being Kevin Bacon to Grady's Earl. <laughs> <laughs> It was just it was just a bad idea. What what is kind of and we will you know we'll talk about this in the next episode. But what is kind of remarkable is like and one of the reasons I love Back to Perfection is precisely because somehow it solves all of these problems almost immediately by yeah. just bumping Michael Gross up in the pecking order to the top. That's yeah. like I mean here it, it's it's there's something short sighted about how they use Burt Gummer in this movie. They almost, they, they, you know. They... Well, that's that's the point I was just gonna make yeah. because earlier earlier in the episode I referenced that I like me some Fred Ward, but I was talking more generally. Yeah, me too. You know, so I mean I love Fred Ward as an actor. Yeah. But he does, you know, to what you were just saying, he does. It feels as though he does not fit into this universe anymore because Bert is the guy. And they didn't figure that out until movie three, but because he, here they they want him to play the role of the eccentric, mm-hmm. and you know uh, I I don't know <laughs> it's hard to imagine after the rest of the movies, but I don't know if Michael Gross had a scheduling conflict. It seems like this man doesn't have a lot of scheduling conflicts, <laughs> <laughs> not because he's not good, but because he's fucking in all of these movies all of the time, right? Um, but here he's he's. You know, he's in his own little pocket of the movie, which is norm- yeah. normally what you do when you when an actor doesn't want to come back and you say, OK, you won't have to film with anyone and we can do this all in a day. Like that was my feeling as I was watching it, which is why it was it was it was baffling that that for the rest of the series, he is the head honcho every single time. Yeah, right. So it can't be that. So maybe it's the screenwriters who are just they just don't understand that he's. That he, they didn't understand the gold they had. Yeah, they didn't understand that that he can carry this movie better than um, than Earl on his own can. Right. Um, and it's just kind of it. It's it sort of it's interesting in it to 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 see you know the limits of what Burt Gummer does in this movie uh, compared to the other movies. Mm-hmm. He, uh, yeah. He's he's you know he's the crazy uncle basically of this movie. He's the the uncle Eddie. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say the uncle Fester. 
<laughs> he's everyone's uncle. He just pops yeah. in, he says something crazy, he does something crazy, and he goes back to his little place. Right. And that's, like, exactly the wrong use of him. <laughs> yeah. Especially but when... But they get it right in the third movie, and then we, we take off from there, for sure. Yeah. Um, but, you know, k- kudos for figuring that out eventually. Uh, but also, yeah. you know, like, it's... It's in this movie where not a lot is working in terms of acting and chemistry. To have Burt Gummer there as a palate cleanser is excellent. Is wonderful. Yeah, you're right about that. All right, let's take another break, and then when we come back, we'll get to your fuse. <laughs> we are confused. We'll be back right after this. If you're anything like me, you spend the majority of the day wondering whether you want coffee, beer, or wine. Whichever way you fall, Brew Bar has you covered. Located in the heart of 3rd Avenue Village in glorious downtown Chula Vista, California, which is also my neck of the woods, Brew Bar is a coffee shop, bar, and eatery rolled into one delightful package. Tim and Alex run the place, and let me tell you listeners, these guys know their coffee. And after you've been in their company... So will you. They turned me on to pour over, and it's literally all I drink now. If for some crazy reason you don't want to try the best coffee in the world, they've got espresso drinks, all kinds of teas, and even coffee cocktails. You heard me. Coffee tails. And we're just getting started. Bottle service on craft beer and wine, alcoholic and caffeinated potions, an all-day food menu with plenty of vegan options. All served up in an atmosphere hip enough to know you're getting the best quality, but not too hip that you feel the need to drive to 7-Eleven and get a bucket of brown swill. Brew Bar. It's the best place to be for beer, wine, coffee and tea. And if you go, you might even see me. And we're back. Tom and I are here finishing up talking about Tremors 2 Aftershocks, the 1996 film... So, I know we said when we were going into the break, Tom, that we were going to get to your, your fuse, but just generally, I'd like to talk about, you know, the last 30 or so minutes of this mm-hmm. movie, because that's when this movie, to me, starts really finding its own and getting interesting and good. Yeah, I think, you know, we, we get the pay. <laughs> Once the shriekers appear yeah. and, you know, all, all of that starts happening. We also, I mean, we, this is something we talked about again, these these uh, overt setups for how we're going to get out of the big problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and with this, it's Bert's package meals. And I have right. a note yeah. saying, this His... better pay off, because we have been talking about these package meals for too long. <laughs> they were answering a question nobody asked. And of course, it's part of the way that... that uh, well, at least at one stage of the of the ending, that they're destroyed. Um, what are they called? MREs. Yeah, meals ready. So to eat? things are starting to pay off. You know, things that we've that we've clunkily set up are starting to go mm-hmm. somewhere. Um, uh, well, just dramatically too. You know, you've got you've got a lot of creatures hanging around. For those that don't know, by the way, these creatures have infrared so they can they can they can hook into let, your let, heat let's signature. be honest. 
they had infrared cameras <laughs> and decided conveniently that shriekers are uh, heat can sense heat in people's bodies. Yes. Why? How a door can hold them back, I do not understand. But okay, I, I'm not sure of that either. But <laughs> yeah, um, but you have moments of tension. You have Bert; he's got to climb into the uh, whatever the bucket of a of of, of a bulldozer. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You've got uh, Fred Ward. You know, Earl is willing to sacrifice himself, get chased. You know, there's, there, I mean, there's just lots of exciting stuff going yeah. on. Yeah. And uh, and it's got that sort of classic monster movie feel finally in that moment of... Because the thing that works about all monster movies, whatever it is, Jaws or whatever, is how are they going to get out of this? Mm-hmm. When you as the audience member are thinking to yourself... I have no idea what I would do to try to survive this moment. What are these characters going yeah. to do? That's when you start leaning in and the movie gets interesting. And this, I think this movie does start to achieve that towards the end of the movie. Yes. And then... <laughs> <laughs> then we set off a fuse to... The forever fuse, I call it. That's my note. I call it the, the forever, forever fuse. fuse. To a bomb which may never go off. <laughs> At one point I was like, this bomb isn't going off. Or it's gone yeah. off. It's a dud. It must have been a dud. <laughs> <laughs> Even the characters. Yeah. Even the characters are wondering what the fuck's going on with this bomb. And, and sadly, I just, I I mean, as as time elapsed, and we were still the fuse was still going down. I was I was thinking every every second more of this means that the explosion has to be exponentially more spectacular. Lar- yeah, bigger. and uh, there is just no <laughs> by the end it says that there is no explosion that could be spectacular enough to justify this amount of time that we're waiting for it. I agree with that, but it was a big explosion. It was, yeah. I'll give them that. And you yeah. know, the I like that I the final shot of the potholes I think is is a great reveal of yes. um the impact of that. Uh but w- it's a strange choice. I mean, I'm all for suspense. But <laughs> there is a limit. <laughs> um at the very least to your patience. To, yeah. So it, it's a, it's an odd it's an odd ending, and it just kind of and as you say, things are really starting to quite literally heat up. Um, yeah. At that point in the movie, and it, it it kind of it sort of unravels a little bit because we're waiting for something for so long. Well, let me ask you this because I have a note that I can't figure out. <laughs> Can you figure out this note? Shoot the car eater. Shot was great. Shoot the car eater. Shot was great. Is that Bert <sighs> pulling out the rifle? I. It sounds like Bert's. Is there a shrieker on top of I'm a car sure. that he I'm shoots? Sure. Um, Listeners, yeah, call in. Let us know what the hell yeah. I wrote down. It's a new segment of the show. What the hell are we talking about? <laughs> uh, yeah, and it's a new segment called "Understand My Notes." I, I mean, you asked me if there's a sh- if there was a shrieker on the car. 
I'm going to say yes, even though I don't remember that, because there's a, uh, a trapezoid of graboids, a trapeze graboid. So yeah, if that yeah, happens, yeah, I'm pretty right. sure at some point Ashrika was on a car. <laughs> okay, because I remember I remember the shot where you I think it's the first time you see Bert with like his mega rifle. Yes, you know, and they're rounding a corner, and they see a Shrieker and they duck behind the corner, and I don't know the Shrieker's just like he's by a some you know a cinder block wall essentially just a mm. brick wall, and Bert takes the time to like. Put the put all his shit together and tells everybody to plug their ears or something. And just I mean, I love the shot. I that shot I remember because I love that he he shoots the rifle and a window next to him explodes mm. from how loud the ricochet of this rifle is, and then it just splits that shrieker in half. And that that was a practical yeah. shot. And great. Absolutely. So again, when they go to practical it looks so good. It does. And, you know, I think I I, I could see that, you know, the, the, the shriekers were kind of shot in a way that they were just cutaways. So mm-hmm. you kind of need them to orient the if audience. they didn't need to move. But you don't, you don't, right. you're not relying on them if they really don't work. I guess they thought that it worked okay enough. Um, but they're not essential. Um one of the things, much earlier in the movie, one of the things I really like, which I think, again, is about, like, trying to trying to sort of, like, warm people up to the idea that CGI might be a better alternative, is when you think you've seen uh, a practical effect, but it's actually a model of the Graboid. You remember mm-hmm. that? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So they're obviously playing with that idea of, like, uh, you know, this is just the way things are going. And hopefully at some point, all this prosthetic stuff is going to look like, you know, the fakest stuff ever. Hasn't happened yet. No. <laughs> Not even in 2020 has that happened. But, no, right. Um, yeah, exactly. You know, there's still... A... Give me practical. Mm. Um, also, the other another thing that we, we've talked a lot about where this movie kind of... Uh, doesn't you know hasn't quite found its feet yet but there are a few Mm -hmm. things that it takes forward which are kind of interesting to me one is i think that uh latino characters are to the tremor series what african-americans are to horror they get killed first (laughs) and this keeps going yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I think that's fascinating. Uh, I mean, we are in Mexico. It is a recurring We are theme. in Mexico, but most of the, all of our characters are, are Caucasian. All of our leading characters are right. Caucasian. So they, they're this kind of cannon fodder uh, in the movie, which is, is, is not good, but I just thought it was like an interesting um, and kind of interesting variation on the, on the horror theme. Right. Yeah. Um, well, let hmm. me ask you this. I'm curious. How do you think? Because they really pull this magic trick with Burt Gummer. Yes. And I, I guess what I'm interested in is, you know, 
How does, uh, uh, say, a self-confessed gun lover mm. feel about Burt Gummer? Mm. I, I, you know, this is pure speculation, but I just think it's fascinating that, that I fell in love with this yeah. character so easily when everything about him is something that I probably wouldn't want to know in real life, a person I wouldn't want to know in real well, life. Well, I mean, in this in this movie, he's played far more for laughs. You're, you're far less emotionally invested in him than in, in, in later movies. True. They're less concerned about kind of discovering his humanity than, you know, having him as a, a kind of gag button on the scene. Um, but the one thing they do in this movie is, you know... Because he's married in the first That's movie, right, yeah. To Reba of all people, and they got know? a point. They got a point and out why she's not there. Yeah, exactly. We hear and a so, lot about that. Yeah, right. <laughs> so it's like <laughs> I've lost my wife. Well, you don't. Yeah, no. But what he's really worried about was was the the gun he loves that she took. <laughs> it's interesting. <laughs> it's interesting though. It's like. We we you, something that I hadn't considered is, you know, he's he's more of a cardboard character in this, um, but at the same time, you know, we're always he he does he has the the most the strongest arc, well, not even just the arc, yeah. but he's got the the strongest circumstances emotionally of any character in this, yes. um. Which is interesting, given how little he's in the movie and how limited what he does is. Um, we still get that because you know, <laughs> at the end of these movies, it's like they had a, a sense of what him. they had. Yeah, it's like they had a sense of of what they had with Bert, but weren't using it fully yet. Yeah, and e- even here, and I think this has got a lot to do with you know how great Michael Gross is at playing this character. But you still get. Mm-hmm. The rest of these movies are, you know, about this is this kind of weighing up the the good and bad of Burt Gummer. And here you get a sense it's like, yeah, he's a very credible hero, but he's also a gun-toting madman who falls and breaks things a lot. So mm-hmm. yeah. that kind of clumsy idiot, you know, thing uh, is interesting because it's it's not it's it's. He is definitely more of a comic character in here, so you would kind of expect that. But that dynamic definitely carries on. They definitely, they're definitely, even in this movie, even in this limited capacity, right. they found this idea where it's like, there's always two sides to Burt Gummer um, whenever you get him. And, and some movie, some of these movies are a little more on his side in terms of how he sees the world than others. <laughs> sure, um, right. I guess in I guess in this one by the fact that he's a comic character that that he that the movie is explicitly not a fan of Burt Gummer's way of looking at the world, uh, but but he's the guy but he's the yeah, guy who I would, gets the I would agree with that. Burt knows sure. his bombs. Uh, he obviously doesn't know how long the fuses are <laughs> on his bombs, but still, Burt's bombs. Burt's bombs, the longest fuse. Dude, that's a T-shirt. The longest fuses in cinematic history. Burt's Bombs is a t-shirt. Burt's Bombs, yeah. Um, Get to work. Uh, I think I think a range of uh, bath salts, too. Burt's Bombs. Yeah. Oh, I like it. So... <laughs> <laughs> Make... <laughs> oh, yeah, so many possibilities. Well, I think that's as good a place as any to end it. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. Bombs. We talked about literally every frame of this movie. 
I don't think, yeah, I don't really, there's anything more to say. Sorry to see Fred Ward go, but not sorry to see, not sorry to see Earl go. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Yeah, you you hit the nail on the head there. (laughs) I'm sorry to see Fred Ward go, but Earl... Right off into the sunset. I'll I'll take Bert. Earl, Earl is st- um, Fred Ward is uh, resigned to where he should be in cinema history, which is fishing over a dead, naked woman's body in Robert Altman shortcuts. <laughs> That's how I want to remember him. <laughs> oh, that's great! All right, well, ladies and gentlemen, that's it for Tremors Two Aftershocks. If you've got a comment, if you've got something you think we missed, please let us know. Find us on Instagram, find us on Facebook, find us on Twitter, send us an email to everythingsequel at gmail.com. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps. Yeah, we'll respond. We need it. <laughs> I was I was going for the less the audience version of that by saying it really helps. <laughs> but thank you. <laughs> Uh, we're looking to build beyond our beyond Zach, Kristen, and your wife. <laughs> the gatekeepers of media. Yeah, exactly. All right, that's it. We'll see you next time for Tremors Three: Back to Perfection. Spoiler alert! You got it, buddy. It is perfection. <laughs> we'll see you next time. <laughs>